1 Samuel chapter number 13 tonight. And I'd like to preach for a few, to you for a few moments on this thought, neither sword nor spear found. 1 Samuel chapter number 13. And uh, you say, where's that at? It's right before 2 Samuel. Amen. You go to 2 Samuel and take a left and you'll find it. So 1 Samuel chapter number 13 tonight, praying for the Lord to help me in the preaching. We can't do anything without His help. He said, without me you can do nothing. Not just most things or small things, but without me you can do nothing. I'm looking for the help of the Lord tonight and I want you to pray for me as we preach. 1 Samuel chapter 13, let's begin reading in verse number 16. The Word of God says, And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with them abode in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned unto the way that leadeth to Ophrah, unto the land of Shul. And another company turned the way to Beth Horon. And another company turned the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, and his coulter, and his axe, and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks, and for the coulters, and for the forks, and for the axes, and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and Jonathan his son was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. Let's read verse 22 once more and we'll pray. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there found. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we thank You for this opportunity to be in Your house. We thank You for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask tonight that You would illuminate Your Word to us. I come before You, Lord, as a beggar in theological matters and in illumination. Father, I'm trusting and committing myself to You to take Your Word and to use it and to preach it and to apply it to the hearts of Your people. Help me, Lord, to get out of the way this evening. Help me not to say anything You wouldn't have me to say, but, Lord, help me to not refrain from preaching that which You have for us this evening. Lord, we love You. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In 1 Samuel chapter number 13, we have one of the most startling, alarming and troubling passages concerning the entire history of the nation of Israel. Now, you say, well, preacher, what are we preaching on tonight? I want to draw your attention, and we're going to do a little bit more preaching on it here in just a moment. But the Word of God says in verse 19, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. Now you say, preacher, what is the significance of this tonight. Well, if we apply Scripture to Scripture, and if we let the Bible be its own commentary, we find that the Word of God has much to say about weaponry. Now, when I say weaponry, I don't necessarily mean physical weapons, although certainly the Bible does say a lot 
about physical weapons. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and they uh, had a pistol on their side, and I said, well, you know, the Bible says uh, that if a man doesn't have a sword, he ought to sell his coat to go buy him a sword. That troubles some people. But I'll tell you tonight, God would rather have us naked and armed than helpless. Amen? Uh, I, I believe in the right to defend ourselves. I believe that we have that right. I don't believe that right originates with the Constitution either. Uh, I believe that we have always had that right. It may be validated by the Founding Fathers' documents, but it's certainly not granted by them. It's granted by God. In the book of Ezra, there were three things that they had the right to fight to the death over. They had the right to fight to the death over their God. They had the right to fight to the death over their families. And they had the right to fight to the death over their nation or over their land. I believe today we ought to be willing, if God calls upon us... And Listen, I mean, they'd shut me down, friend. They'd padlock our doors for me saying this. But it's just a reality. There may come a day when we've got to fight for those things in the country that we live in. But I'm not talking about physical weaponry. The Word of God is very clear when it tells us that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, rightly dividing to the sunder of bone or of soul and spirit. And so I believe that we have scriptural authority as we read this passage and draw a parallel between the life of the believer today to understand that when the Bible says there was no smith found in Israel, and consequentially there was no sword found in Israel, I believe we can understand that though we're reading a literal uh, historical account, as I look at my life today and your life today, it just speaks to my heart of the importance that we love our Bible, that we read our Bible, that we study our Bible, and that we learn our Bible in this day that we live in. Whereas the Word of God puts it, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. The Bible tells us in verse number 19 that they took all the smiths out of the land. You say, who were those smiths? They were the blacksmiths. They were the workmen. And the strategy of the enemy was to remove all the workmen so there'd not be a workman that could work the tools that they needed for their defense. Now, I want to take just a few moments, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't know if this will scare you or tickle you, but I don't know how this is about to go, amen? Uh, But I want to give you a few things that the Lord has given me tonight, and we'll do our best to preach quickly because there's food waiting. Somebody say amen to that. I want you to notice, first off, a strategy that the enemy had planned. Look with me in verses 17 and 18. The Bible says, And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned unto the way that leadeth to Ophrah, unto the land of Shul. And another company turned the way to Beth Horon. And another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Now, let me just give you a a snippet of history here. These are the Philistines. And I'm going to use very theological, uh, very deep theological terms when I tell you this, that the Philistines are bad dudes. Amen? They are the enemy. They are representative of the world that we live in today. The Philistines are the constant antagonists of the people of God as they seek to inhabit and inherit and indwell the land that God has promised them. Can I say to you tonight that we as children of God, God has a promised land for us. 
I understand that heaven is a promised land. I understand that God is going to take us there one day. Uh, I'm well aware of that. But if I read my Bible correctly, I find that Canaan, or the promised land, is not a picture of heaven. And you say, but the old song... Yeah, I know the old songwriter wrote it different. But if I read my Bible correctly, I find that Canaan is a place of giants, a place of enemies, a place of battles. And furthermore, Canaan was a place that once they inhabited it, they managed to get backslidden in the midst of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope none of those things are true about heaven. Canaan is a picture of the life that God intends for His people. And as they endeavor to dwell within this land, they find a constant antagonist someone that is consistently trying to prevent them from peaceable rest in the place that God has put them. Now, the Bible is very clear to tell us that we have three chief enemies. We have the devil, we have the flesh, we have the world. The world is constantly, along with the devil and the flesh, seeking to unseat us from the victory that God has provided through us through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that when Christ died for your sins and paid for your sins, the victory was won that day? Read the back of the book. We're not waiting to find out how this thing's going to turn out. The back of the book's been written. The victory has been won. The triumph is guaranteed. And all we need do, just like the children of Israel, is go in and inherit that which God has promised us. It's not the will of God that we live in defeat. I live in defeat sometimes, and you live in defeat sometimes. That don't make it the will of God just because we all get that way. It's the will of God that we live in victory. But there's always an antagonist seeking to keep us out of the will of God. Now, those three, all three of them, it's true of them, but certainly the world is consistently trying to pull the Christian out of the will of God. Turn on the TV and there's things trying to pull you out of the will of God. Go to the stores and the shopping malls and there's things trying to pull you out of the will of God. You turn your computer on and there's things trying to pull you out of the will of God. You go to the workplace and there'll be things trying to pull you out of the will of God. We have antagonists trying to keep us from serving God. I want you to notice their strategy tonight. First off, I want you to notice the surrounding of the camp. Now, as I, as I studied where these places are, and I, I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm barely a student, let alone a teacher of the Word of God. But if I study my, uh, my Bible correctly, and if I, if I look at the places where these were situated, I find out that they, they went to three different areas. They went to a place called Ophrah. Not Oprah, but Ophrah, amen? The Bible never shows anyone going to Oprah for anything. <laughs> going to Ophrah, going to Beth Horan, and going to Zeboam. Hey, man, I got somebody worked up. Hey, man. Going to Zeboam as well. Now, as I read my Bible correctly, one of these was to the east area of Gibeah. Another was to the northwest area of Gibeah. Another was to the southwest area of Gibeah. And to the direct south of Gibeah was the Dead Sea. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying there's hemmed in. I'm saying anywhere they looked around them, they didn't have any place to go. Can I tell you something tonight? Boy, I hope the Lord helps me. Can I tell you something? You've got to make up your mind to serve God right where you're at. Because there ain't nowhere to go where it's easy to serve God. A lot of times we think, well, if we get this straightened out, if we get that straightened out, and I understand there are things we can do to help our, our Christian walk. I understand there's things we can do to not make provision for the flesh. But understand something, it's never going to be easy on you serving God. 
It's always going to be a fight. It's always going to be a challenge. We're hemmed in in this world that we live in. We're the minority in the world that we live in. It's always going to be that way until Jesus comes and reigns. It's always going to be that way. Hey, we're surrounded by it. Man, we're surrounded by it. I don't care where you go. There's something. If you have a mind to live in sin, there's something to drag you towards sin. That's by design. I understand that God is the God of gods. You say, I thought He's... Well, He's the King of kings too, and He's the Lord of lords as well. But the book of Deuteronomy tells me He's the God of gods. The book of Psalms echoes that He's the God of gods. I understand He is the God of gods, but understand that He's not the God of this world right now. Satan, the Bible says, is the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. Don't think for one moment that he doesn't have his hands in what's going on in this world that we live in. There is a satanic conspiracy. Oh boy, they'd paint me as a nut, wouldn't they? They'd put a tinfoil hat on me hearing me preach like that. But you read your Bible and the Bible talks about a mystery of iniquity that worketh even now. Right now, there is a satanic conspiracy to drag the child of God away from the throne room and away from the feet of Jesus. We're surrounded. We're hemmed in, and that's by design. I want you to notice, first off, the surrounding of the camp. Notice, secondly, the severing of the craftsmen. Now, I'm going to try to preach this very carefully, lest I seem like I'm puffing me or, or any other preacher up, but it's truth no matter what we think about it. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. That tells me something. That tells me it, it, it wasn't, it's not just there were no smiths because it was a bad economy for blacksmiths. It's not that there were no blacksmiths because nobody could find space to lease or to rent. It's not that there were no blacksmiths because the blacksmith training school had shut down. It tells me that there were no blacksmiths by direct, deliberate design of the Philistines. They said, if we allow blacksmiths, it's not going to be long before they have swords and spears. Can I just tell you something tonight? And, I, and the Lord's going to have to just confirm in your heart that I'm not trying to be puffed up or arrogant or narcissistic. Boy, that's a $10 word in. I, I'm not trying. But can I tell you something? There is an all-out assault on Bible preaching in the day that we live in. All-out assault. All you hear about now is teaching, teaching, teaching. You say, you against teaching? No, I'm not against teaching. I wouldn't have an education except somebody taught me. I'm not against teaching. I'm not against Bible teaching. We talk about the Sermon on the Mount, and they say it was the greatest sermon ever preached. Well, it wasn't preached, it was taught. Because the Bible says when they sat down, Jesus taught them. So I'm not against Bible teaching. But understand that the Bible prophesied there'd come a day when men would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We live in a day where preaching is seen as something, uh, something small, something petty, something old-fashioned, something outmoded and out of date. And now teaching is the greatest and latest fad. Uh, the average person that you go to, if, if you talk to them about, about your preacher, and if you say, man, he's a Bible preacher, most people look at you like you're nuts. But now if you go to him, you say, oh, my, my, my preacher, he just, he, he taught such a sweet little sermon this morning. And it was so good. I mean, he just, I, and he had, I mean, he had his PowerPoint. And he, <laughs> and, and he, I, I mean, he had the laser pointer. And he showed us such, let me tell you, can I read something to you? I, well, I'm going to. I don't know why I asked permission. Um, <laughs> if I couldn't, you'd probably just leave. But listen to what a man by the name of Charles Simeon said 
about the Word of God. He said if we look at a sundial, we may understand the use and import of the figures. Yet can we not attain a knowledge of the time unless the sun shine upon it? So it is with the Word of God. We may understand the general meaning of the words, yet can we not receive its spiritual instruction unless we have the unction of the Holy One, whereby we may know all things. Can I tell you something? There's a reason the devil is a promoter of, uh, of teaching and, and is, a, is a destroyer of preaching. The Bible does not say that God hath chosen the wisdom of teaching. The Bible says that God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them which would believe on Him. There's a reason that Bible preaching is sought and, and is viewed in such a derogatory manner in the day that we live in. It's because it's one thing to get up and teach the Word. A man can get up and teach the Word of God without the Spirit of God within a hundred miles of him. A person can get up and teach the Word of God. Everybody can put their hands together and say, Oh, what a beautiful lesson. Let me tell you something. If we're going to get the job done in these wicked days that we live in, it's going to take some old-fashioned, Holy Ghost-filled, unctionized Straight Bible preaching. It's the only thing that's going to get the job done. And we've got to get to the place where we go back to Bible preaching once again. Where we seek Bible preaching. I'm not just preaching at you, I'm preaching at me. Hey, you don't think I listen to preaching? Where do you think I get all these sermons? Amen. I just take them from somebody else. I'm saying we have a need of Bible. Our young people need Bible preaching. Our old people need Bible preaching. Our skinny people need Bible preaching. God help us, our fat people need Bible preaching too. I don't care who you are, we all need Bible preaching. And it is the deliberate design of Satan to remove those that would preach the Word of God from the pulpits of America. That's the reason it's viewed with such a derogatory outlook. That's the reason it's scoffed at, it's made fun of. Nowadays, I mean, I'm telling you something now. I mean, I'm, as a pastor, I talk to other pastors. We've got to get together and gossip about you. I talk to other pastors. This is, a, this is a global epidemic. This isn't something that's, that, that's just localized to our neighborhood. I mean, this is all over. You find places where, God, where Spirit-filled men are preaching the Word of God. You could fit them all in the pastor's office. But you find places where somebody gets up with an academic expression of their puffed-up knowledge and intellectualism. And, buddy, I mean, they, they've, got to, they've got to cart them in on golf carts because they park four miles away. I'm just merely saying that there's a design by that. You know what it is, man, and this ain't even... Thank you, Lord, for helping me preach. I, I wasn't expecting any of this. But you know why it is that, that, that camp works? I know you say, oh, you talk about camp. Well, I love camp. You know why camp works? Because we preach to the young people. We preach to them. They get out of this world. They get out of, of, of the surroundings of the Philistines. They get up on the mountain alone with God and with those that love them. And we preach to them. We see God move and God work. I don't know about it. I've I've looked through a lot of our camp stuff. I've never once found a fog machine or a laser machine. But I still see God move and God save souls. You know why? Because they don't need entertainment, friend. They need preaching. They need preaching. Our young people are not stupid. They, They can understand preaching. Our young people, listen, our young people are not so dim that they have to have somebody get up and, and dance for them like some kind of fool. We, we don't give our young people enough credit. 
You'll, you'll find that young people, and I say this as a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor. I, I mean, we saw God move and we saw God save souls. You say, how'd you do that? We preached at them. That's how. I'm not against the activities. I'm not, I'm not against the, the fun. We're taking them ice skating. Or somebody is. I can't ice skate, but somebody's going to take them. Amen. Somebody that can ice skate. I'm not against that. But let me tell you something. That's not what gets the job done. The preaching's what gets the job done. Nothing wrong with taking them out and letting them fellowship and have some activities and have some fun. I mean, we don't, I mean, I wouldn't take any of you adults ice skating. You don't want to go ice skating. You know what we do? We go over there and stuff our faces. That's what we do. That's our, that's our adult activity each Sunday night. I'm not against it. I'm for it. But understand that that's not what gets the job done. It's preaching that gets the job done. It's preaching that changes lives. It's preaching that makes Christians. And it's the preaching of the Word of God that makes Not the preaching of men's opinions. Not the preaching of political uh, aspirations. Not the preaching uh, uh, of self-esteem uh, blowing up. Oh, man. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not speaking in tongues. I just can't figure out what I'm trying to say. I, I'm, I mean, I got, my, my, my thoughts are way out there and my words are trying to catch up with them. I'm saying it's preaching that gets the job done. It's preaching. It, it was preaching when, when God first sent the first preacher out to preach. It'll be preaching until God calls the last preacher home. It's always been the preaching of the Word of God. And Satan's trying to remove the craftsmen that know how to sharpen that sword. You say, oh, preacher, I don't think the sword needs to be sharp. Well, no, there, there, is, there is the sword, you understand. There is the sword. But then there's your sword. There's a difference, you know. Now, I hope that your sword is just like this sword. And I do believe there's one sword, don't you? But, but what I'm saying is this. That there's the sword, but then there's your sword. And the sword, it's always sharp. The Word of God is always sharp. But your understanding the Word of God, if you're like me, can sometimes be rather dull. We have a need that we be sharpened. We have a need. You know, the Bible talks about uh, that iron sharpeneth iron. Now, I know, I understand that's talking about friendship. I understand that. But, but I think there's an application there. Iron sharpeneth iron. Man, I got a library full of books. I've got, you know what I do? I'm just sharing with you, okay? I mean, we're, get ready to share. I know you came to church not just to share, we're going to share our feelings. We're going to share everything, okay? You ready? I, in my study, I have like, like 846 million books. Now, that's an estimate, but I think it's pretty close. And all of my books are like, they've got a bookmark in them like 20 pages in. I've never finished a book in my entire life. You know that? But about 20 pages, you know why? Because as I, as I go into the books, I, I hit a place where God speaks something to my heart. And I don't want to preach what that man has to say. So I close that book, I open up the book, and I start studying. Now, I'm not against books. I'm all for it. I mean, i got tons of books. But let me tell you something. Nothing sharpens iron like iron. The Word of God is the greatest commentary on the Word of God. And iron sharpeneth iron. We see the severing of the craftsman. Let me give you a second thing tonight. We see a situation of enormous proportions. Now, I want you to listen carefully tonight because this is a picture of the church in the day that we live in. Notice verse 20. The Bible says, But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. I want you to notice the burden of dependency. Now, let me tell you something. Something's wrong when you're going to the enemy to get your sword sharpened. 
Can I make a few statements that are real sweet and kind? You're going to love them. You're going to write them in your Bible. They're so good. Can I tell you something? You don't become a fundamentalist by sitting at the feet of liberals. You, you don't, listen, you, you, don't, you don't understand this book better by learning from a bunch of people that don't believe this is the Word of God. You, you, don't, you don't learn more about the Word of God by people, from people that don't believe we have the Word of God. I'm saying something's wrong. Listen now. Oh, boy, I'm on, somebody's going to get mad at me. Here, Ronnie, if somebody attacks me, hit them with that fly swat. Let me tell you something. Something's wrong when, when, when people go to the TV preacher to learn more than they go to their local pastor to learn from. Something's wrong. I mean, something, wrong, something is wrong when John Hagee is more of an authority to you than your local pastor. I'm just telling you, say, you against John Hagee? I don't know. I've never watched him enough to know. <laughs> but I'm saying that something's wrong when we're going to the Philistines to get our sword sharpened. Now, let me tell you something. I, if you look through my library, you, man, you find stuff that, that I, I believe in, in knowing how to eat the fish and spit out the bones. You know what that means? That means you're going to read things sometimes from people that you don't agree with everything about, but, but you can glean something from it. You can get, get rid of the rest of it. You know what to, what to take and what to leave. But what I'm finding in, in churches today, not this church, I hope not this church, but I'm finding Christians wholeheartedly embracing the writings of heretical people simply because they like the mannerism in which they write. Friend, you'd be amazed what, what heretics some of the biggest writers in quote-unquote evangelical literature, you'd be amazed the kind of heretics that they are. You'd be amazed the things that you say, oh, I don't know. You come to me after the service. I, don't, I mean, I can name names if you want me to name names, but, but you come to me. I, we'll, we'll spend a few minutes talking about some of the things that they believe. We'll spend a few minutes talking about some of the heresies that these people propose. Some of these, you ever notice something? You ever notice something? You ever notice that for someone to be on TV, now this, this isn't 100% true, but, I, but for you to be on TV, you have to be 99.9% nuts. You ever notice that? That's just by and large true. Everybody, these people come out there from California, the land of the fruits and the nuts, you know. If you see people in Hollywood, by and large, they're messed up. Find someone in Hollywood, they ain't messed up. They might not have been messed up when they got there, but they're messed up now. You know, a lot of times that's true even of, even of people on TV that claim and propose to be Christians. I'm not trying to warn you away from ever turning your TV on listening to a preacher. I, I, there, there's a few people on TV that I say, yeah, they're, they're pretty solid. I understand that. But by and large, hey, I'm saying grain of salt and caution. That's what I'm saying. It's a problem when we're going to the Philistines to get our sword sharpened. There's been more than one young preacher that lost his sword going to the Philistines to get it sharpened. Because you know what they did? They kept sharpening it till there wasn't nothing left. Let me tell you something. You, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can destroy the Word of God with theological mumbo-jumbo. You know, this Bible means what it says and says what it means. I, I, I said it just the other night. Man, I'm, I'm not necessarily against the, the Hebrew and the Greek. Like old Dr. Malone said, he said, I, I know a little Hebrew and a little Greek. He said, the little uh, Hebrew owns a dry cleaner and the little Greek owns a deli. You know, I'm, I'm not necessarily... Put, but let me tell you something. I, I, there, there's some preachers, they'll Hebrew and Greek your King James Bible right out of your hand. And you better run from them like they're a poisonous snake. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to sharpen this thing until there ain't nothing left of it. That's what they're trying to do.
They're trying to take and they're trying to, they're trying to intellectualize your belief in the Word of God away. And it wasn't long that it was going down to the Philistines. You know what it says? It's going down to the Philistines and eventually they're wanting a sword one. You know part of the reason? Oh man, I'm just preaching now. Yeah, I'm not against... Man, every four words I'm having to say I'm not against something tonight. I don't know what that means, but I, I'm, not, I'm not against technology. I'm really not. Some people, our brother Kerry's against it. He hates it. Brother Kerry, if he had his way, he'd be, he'd be living in a cabin with no lights making Amish butter and cheese or something. I'm not against technology. I mean, I'm really not. We got, I mean, we got a projector and we've, we've got, you know, we've got the, the, the screen. We've got all that stuff that we use for our missionaries. But do you know why there's such a gravitation towards a lot of these projector screens? And, and it's not a sin. Oh boy. Listen carefully. It's not a sin to own a projector screen. Let's get, let's stamp the, the, the preacher's general warning on it. I'm not saying it's a sin that we've got a, but you know why they're flocking to this? You know why they put the Bible, their scripture up there? Nobody out in the congregation has the same sword. That's why. Nobody out in the congregation has the same Bible. They, they say, turn in your Bible to this passage. And it takes them 40 minutes because people don't know if they got the right passage. Because a simple, immutable truth of reality in life is this, that things that are different, they're just not the same. And so they have to stick it up there on a screen just so people know what they're reading. I, I'm saying this, it's not long before people quit bringing their Bibles. That's the reason we don't do it here. I'm not saying it's a sin to put, put the King James Bible up on that screen. I'm not saying that's a sin. But, but I like hearing the sound of pages rustling. I don't want to put anything up there that would make you leave your sword at home. I want you to have your sword with you at all times. We see in this, I don't even know where I'm at. We see in this passage the burdens in dependency. But notice the brokenness in deficiency. Verse number 21 says, Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. Can I make a simple uh, application of this? Now, I'm not against what... <laughs> Poor Toby. Poor Toby. Can I, can I insert a word? I'm not changing my King James Bible. Can I insert a word there where it says a file? Can I insert the word devotional? Oh, boy. Are you ready for some practical truth? It ain't wrong to own a file. But if the only sharpening that your sword ever gets is from your file, something's wrong. I'm not against devotionals. I'm not against things like that. I think that's a good thing. But let me tell you something. If the only, if the only thing you ever get from your Bible is the three verses that are quoted in the, in the pages of your devotional, something's wrong. I, I'm saying there's such a thing as Christianity that's a mile wide and a quarter inch deep. And we need to be careful lest we fall into it. I, I'm not fussing at you. you got a devotional. I'm not fussing at you. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I'm merely saying that your scriptural, your, 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 your time of workmanship, your time of study, it ought to go deeper than that five minutes you spend reading somebody else's words instead of God's words. I, I, I'm not against it now. I'm just saying that it ought to be deeper than that. Gets the place where the only, the only sharpening that their tools ever got was from that file. What a sad state they must have been in. You know what it caused them to do? 
it came to the place. They still sharpened their garden tools, but they didn't even try to sharpen the sword with it. You, you know what will happen if you don't get in this book and fall in love with this book and, and, and get obsessed with this book? I don't think it's wrong to be obsessed with the Word of God. You know what will happen if you don't get that way? This book right here, it's either absolute or it's obsolete. And there's no middle ground. And you'll either love this book or you'll leave this book. See, it got to the place there wasn't a sword even among them. I want you to notice finally, and I'm done, a suffering with extenuating persecutions. What was the conclusion of the whole matter? Well, in verse 22, notice their pitiful defense. So it came to pass in the day of battle. Let me just pause there and say... It doesn't say, so it came to pass that if there ever was a battle. It doesn't say, so it came to pass if there ever was a battle. It says, so it came to pass in the day of battle. And I'm going to get on with it here in a second. Let me tell you something, a battle's coming. In your, in your personal spiritual walk, a battle's coming. There's going to come a day, you're going to need this sword. I'm thankful there, there is coming a day. I mean, listen, I, I love the Word of God. I, I don't know what I'd do without the Word of God, but I'm looking for... There's coming a day when we'll walk in through the gates of that city and hang our sword upon its shimmering walls, never to battle again. I'm looking forward to that day. But until then, there's going to come a time you're going to need this book. That You're going to need this sword. You're going to need it. There's a day of battle that's coming. What does it say happen? It says... <laughs> that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there found. Can I draw two parallels to that very quickly? Can I draw a parallel to the Roman Catholic Church? The Roman Catholic Church has always sought to suppress the knowledge of the Word of God by creating an ecclesiastical hierarchy. They did it, they did it for the longest time by, by trying to keep the Word of God in Latin, which the common person could not read. And then there came a man by the name of Wycliffe, or Wycliffe alone. And you know what Wycliffe said? I think i got my history. If I don't, you don't interrupt good preaching and, and, and mess it. Wycliffe said this, said that by the grace and help of God, even the plowboy in the field will have a copy of the Word of God. But for hundreds of years... The common person was in darkness because the Roman Catholic Church suppressed the propagation of the Word of God. You know why? Funny thing about it, when people start reading the Word of God, they realize how messed up the doctrines, the false doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church are. Not just the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, we can go down the line. But, but, but I, I just, let me point that, and let me just point a second thing out. I see when I look back a few hundred years in history, I, I, I see the Roman bishop, I see the Catholic priest as he stands up behind his lectern and there are masses of uneducated, masses of people that are sitting in darkness that don't know what it is he's reading. And oh, how it breaks my heart. But then I look at the average church today, in fact, a lot of Baptist churches, and I see the preacher as he stands up. And we look out and we see over the uneducated masses... They don't sit in darkness like the peasants once did. For now you can go to almost any store on the corner and find a copy of the Word of God. And yet in the average church, oh, they got their presentation copy that someone gave them when they graduated, that the pages are still crisp on 20 years later because they ain't never been opened. But by and large, there's no sword or spear found.
in all that are in the nation of Israel. What a tragedy. We see their pitiful defense. But I want you to notice a second thing, and I'm finished. How many times have I said that? Have I counted? Somebody out there has counted, I promise you. Look at verse 23. The Bible says in the garrison of the field... You know what? I'm not done preaching on that last point. Give me just a moment. And let me just say this, that your spiritual walk ought to be deeper than just what comes from the pulpit on Sunday morning. Your, your, your knowledge of the Bible. When people say, what did you learn from the Bible this week? You ought not immediately say, well, what did the preacher preach on? Your spiritual walk. It ought not just be the man of God. It, the, the very people. Did this ever occur to you? The very people that had the only two swords in the nation were the very people that they were tasked with protecting. Can I tell you something? And listen, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm not looking for a pity party, but, but can I say this? That there is a similar dynamic in this sense. I, I, I'm your pastor. I, I'm your preacher. And it's my responsibility to feed you. And it's my, but let me tell you something. I believe it's the church's responsibility to pray for their pastor. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm not looking for a raise. I'm not looking for a vacation. I'm just looking for folks to pray for me. Would you pray for me? And, and, and let me say that it, in a sense, in a sense, it helps both of us when our swords are sharpened. Hey, listen, it don't scare me for you to bring your Bible to church. I want you to bring your Bible to church. It don't make me nervous when folks open their Bible. It gets me excited when folks open their Bible. I don't want you to leave your sword at home. Your relationship with the Lord ought to be more than just what you get from the pulpit on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. It ought to be more than just what you get from some preacher on the radio or on the television. It it, it ought to be that we're all well-equipped in the Word of God. All right, now I'm done. Verse 23 says this. It says, And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. You say, now, now where, where is that? Well, look back at verse 16. It says, And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with them abode in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Where it says that they went out to the passage of Michmash. You know what they're doing? They're going out to battle. We see their pitiful defense but we see their present danger. Now all of a sudden the Philistines have mobilized. Now all of a sudden the attack is on. And here they are without any weapons, without any help. You know, the Bible tells us that the Lord would not suffer us to be tempted above that which we were able, but would with the temptation make a, provide a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. There's a battle coming. The Bible says that no temptation hath taken you, but such as is common to man. Every one of us were tempted at times. The Philistines, they've mobilized. And when that time comes, that's not the time to go hunting your sword. When that time comes, that's not the time to go looking for somebody to sharpen it. You've got to be ready. You know why so many of us fall uh, prey to temptation and fall into sin? You know why we are always, always seem to be the prey of the devil and the flesh and the world's whim and their way? Do you know why that is? It's because in the moment of battle, we're looking for our sword. Why did the psalmist say that he would hide God's Word within his heart? There'll be times you don't have that physical sword right at hand, but you need to have that sword hid within your heart. Man, if I can do anything for you tonight, I, I, want, I want to kindle a love affair between you and your Bible. I want you to walk away from here tonight saying, Man, I want to get home and read my Bible. I want you, I, if, there's anything, if there's anything burning within your heart after this message, I hope it is this, that you would say, I want my sword sharpened 
And I want to be ready for the day of battle.